Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Moments That Matter podcast, brought to you by Leadership Triangle, which serves Durham, Orange, Wake, and Chatham counties in North Carolina. Leadership Triangle is a nonprofit organization established in 1992 to educate and promote regionalism across the separate communities of the Triangle. It does this through regional and leadership development classes, seminars, and awards. Graduates of the programs are members of the Goodman Fellowship, now encompassing approximately 1,000 Goodman Fellow alumni across the Triangle. This podcast was designed to hear the stories of leaders within our community. Every story of leadership starts with a lived experience, from the subtle to the profound. Our lived experiences ignite our passions and shape the way we live and lead in the world. Join us to hear from Leadership Triangle Goodman Fellows about the moments that have mattered in their lives. Learn how those moments have defined the paths they've taken and fueled the work they've chosen to pursue. Hello, my name is Angel Brown, and I'm sitting down this morning with storyteller extraordinaire Devin Desjardins. Welcome, Devin. Hey, good to be here. Devin is the Director of Marketing and Storytelling at United Way of the Greater Triangle. Prior to joining this United Way team, Devin ran communications for United Way of Greater Los Angeles, led public relations for an LA-based advertising agency with brand partners, including Pokemon and AT&T. She served as a journalist for the Village Voice Media and supported celebrities like Aaron Paul, Brian Cranston, and Jennifer Lopez in their journey to raise more than $4 million collectively for nonprofits like the Wounded Warrior Project, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and UNICEF. While she could point to many career anecdotes, her favorites are the time that former president of Mexico, Vincente Fox Quesada, called her a funny writer. And when Breaking Bad's Aaron Paul encouraged her to follow her dreams of becoming a professional bedazzler. Devin currently lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina, with her husband Jake and daughters Amelia and Abigail, two rescue pit bulls, and four adopted chickens. Devin, thank you for joining us this morning on Moments That Matter, a Leadership Triangle podcast. How are you, and what energy are you bringing into the session today? Doing really well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here, and um, I haven't gotten to use my bio in a while, so I'm always amazed by how cool it makes me sound. All of that is true, by the way. Um, from my past life, uh, living and working in Los Angeles. Um, but in terms of my energy, you know, I had yesterday off because it was my birthday. And um, I spent the whole day doing my best impression of a person without any obligation. So I'm feeling pretty rested today. Also, both my daughters slept in until seven, which is unheard of in my house. So I actually woke up on my own and got dressed and ready before they were even out of their bed. So that was delightful. <laughs> Amazing. We will take those positive and rested vibes um, and bring them into the podcast today. Love it. Well, before we get to talking more about your specific story, I wanted to let our audience in on how we know each other. So we are both on the community impact team at United Way of the Greater Triangle. While I lead our neighborhood impact work, Devin is leading the organization's creative branding, communication strategy, and equitable storytelling initiatives. So we are well acquainted outside of our Leadership Triangle connection. In fact, all of our storytellers for this podcast are Leadership Triangle alumni and Goodman Fellows. So which Leadership Triangle programs did you complete and when? 
So I did the Transforming Leaders cohort in 2020. I believe we were the first all virtual cohort that they executed um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Great. How was that experience for you? It was it was great. I mean, it was transforming, <laughs> you know, to use the the terminology. But um, I didn't have uh, a big expectation going into it. You know, I there's some reverence around uh, leadership triangle, especially at United Way, because we work so so closely um, with the organization through our Tend to Watch program. We have a really close relationship with Christine, um, the executive director, and then also with Jess Aberhart, who's the former executive director. And so I, I really went in to it with an open mind, but I, te- I tend to be skeptical of these experiences. Um, and I was, I was really amazed by how much I learned about myself. Um, and I've talked about this with some of our tend to watch leaders. Um, and for anyone listening, it's an initiative that we have at United Way, where we invest in um, 10 leaders of color and or women uh, over the course of two years. Um, and part of that investment is also the opportunity to go through these um, these cohorts with leadership triangle. And so I was talking to one of the leaders about it. Um, I, I have some pretty severe imposter syndrome being uh, a young person. I just turned 33 yesterday being in a director position. I've been in director position since I was 25. Um, and so I've long felt like I'm just making it up as I go along. And one of the things that this cohort really showed me was that um, while we are all making it up as we go along because that's what being human is all about. Um, I do have these skills that I've built over the years and that by trusting these skills and continuing to hone these skills, I am deserving of the position that I have. And I'm not fooling everybody on a day-to-day basis that in fact, I do have this, this um, space that I've built for myself and I deserve and that I can own. And so that was really, really valuable. Um, I would love to go through uh, another leadership triangle cohort, but in person, because I did find it difficult to concentrate for three hours um, at a time, you know, once or twice a week. Um, And so that was, you know, that was my only complaint, but I think that's what we were all experiencing in that moment, right? Is figuring out how to juggle life in an unprecedented pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. And um, I really appreciate you giving us a little insight into um, how you've been transformed as a leader. And I think that's a great segue into your moment or your moments that have mattered to you and that have really set the pace for how you lead and especially lead in the triangle community. So when you submitted your proposed story for the podcast, you described your story as centering around navigating Tourette's syndrome in your childhood and how that really formed you as a person and the work that you currently do. So before we get into the details, could you tell us why you feel like this moment or this story um, is an important one to tell? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I admittedly um, have not uh, deeply reviewed your questions because I was out yesterday. So forgive me if I'm going to share some information that you're already planning to share here. Um, But to give a little bit of background information, I grew up with Tourette syndrome. So between the ages of, I think it was like seven and 14. I don't remember the exact time frame, but it was it was long enough that it had a big impact on my life. And this is at a point where Tourette syndrome was really um, not as well recognized as it is today. People didn't have nearly as much information about it. And so um, before they could diagnose me with Tourette syndrome, I went through just like 
probably a full year of doctor's visits and blood tests. And like, you know, for a seven-year-old, that's a pretty traumatic experience to be poked and prodded and have no idea why you're, you know, making the noises you're making, why you can't control your impulses and, um, you know, all of these challenges that I had. And according to my neurologist, I found out after um, the end of this experience that I was the worst case he had ever seen up until that point. And so I had... um, you know, uh, everything that you would associate with Tourette's syndrome that you might have seen on like Not Another Teen Movie back in the 90s, except not fun, <laughs> not funny. That um, I had the coprolalia and coproproxia, which is uncontrollable cursing, uncontrollable obscene gestures. I had vocal tics, facial tics. I had full body tics. I mean, I was on medication that um, did lessen the tics, but I'm convinced it lessened the tics because it put me to sleep. And so I was... Um, unable to function during the day. I was sleeping for over 12 hours at night. I mean, it was just, it was a really difficult experience. Um, And then on top of that being, uh, my parents moved me from uh, a big public school in South Florida to a very small private school so that they could control the narrative around my experience. They could talk to my peers. They could talk to the parents. They could provide me with a more inclusive environment. Um, But kids will be kids and kids are mean. (laughs) And so, you know, the um, social isolation that came from that experience through uh, these kids not understanding what it is that I was going through, what I what it is that I couldn't control, um, because they're kids. And no matter how much you share that, those details with them, they're not you know, they're not really going to get it until they have that experience. And so to take it full circle, to answer your question here, um, that formed who I became as an adult. And to my parents' credit, they forced me into situations um, that encouraged me to be social, that put me in the spotlight, even though I didn't want to be in the spotlight, so that I didn't develop this fear of being around people. And I didn't recognize that that's what they were doing until I came out of it. And when I say came out of it, when I turned 14, right about the time I hit puberty, the serotonin levels in my brain flip-flopped, the tics went away. I developed a depression, which has since gone away. It was a chemical situation. But I was one of the lucky ones where um, I do have tics now in like very stressful settings and very quiet settings, which like I'm actually trying to control in here, since we have to be really quiet with these mics in front of us. Um, But I'm one of the lucky people that just that really doesn't have tics anymore. I don't have to be on medication, you know. And so um, I feel that this this story is important to share because um, it's a reminder that all of our experiences that we go through as individuals can either be strengths that we build upon or they can be um, experiences that we allow to keep us down. And that's not to say if you go through really tough situations, you know, there are plenty of people who go through far worse experiences than I have that you shouldn't feel those feelings. Right. But, uh, you know, it's, I think it's easy to sink into the feelings of like, this is hard. I'm not good enough, you know, and it's much harder to recognize the, the abilities that those experiences then gave you. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know you dropped so many nuggets of wisdom. And um, I just appreciate your vulnerability and um, being able to tell us um, all all that you've learned from that experience. And I'm curious if there was a particular moment that was a shift for you, that when you reflect 
um, on on that experience in your childhood that comes to mind? Um, if there was a moment that was a change for how you now lead, um, and you can set the stage for us with kind of where you were and what was going on in your life. But um, I'm curious if there's a particular moment that you often reflect on now as you lead. Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is yes and no, and and I'll explain why. Um, so I mentioned that my parents used to force me into these situations uh, where I had to be social. And it was more so my dad. My mom was a very protective. She would have been very happy to like homeschool me, I think, if she had had the time and if they could have afforded it. <laughs> but my dad used to you know, used to push me, push me out, used to, you know, force me to go into stores rather than, um, uh, you know, him running in for us, for example. And my dad passed away uh, six years ago. It'll be seven years next year. Um, and that alone was a traumatic experience. It was not expected at all. But in reflecting in the, the period immediately after his death and then in the years afterwards, I realized just how many gifts he gave me, right? And so the experience that I reflect on with my Tourette syndrome is so minute, but it comes from this reflection period after his death where I didn't realize that he had been doing that until he died. And I was able to think back and appreciate everything he had done for me because he was no longer there, right? And so this this small instance, um, we went to Taco Bell. <laughs> I was probably eight, between eight and 10. I don't remember how old I was. My sister was with us and I just wanted to go through the drive-thru. I didn't want to sit there. I didn't want people to stare at me. I didn't want that experience. I was just hungry. And he, he forced us to go inside and sit and eat. And I hated it. It was awful. It was traumatizing. And that, that's always, I'm getting emotional. That's always stuck with me as this experience that was really hard. But then after my dad died, being able to reflect on those moments being, I think, one of the big reasons that I am so social today. I love being around people. I'm not an extrovert. I still need that. I still need those those moments of quiet time to energize myself. But I love people. And I love being around people. I'm also very comfortable being vulnerable, which I recognize that not a lot of people are. And um, I don't know that I would have become this person that really adores people, that really loves um, learning how people tick and their, no pun intended, and the stories behind them and, you know, how those experiences create the people that I love today, whether they're strangers or whether they're people I've known a long time. If I hadn't had experiences like that one afternoon in a Taco Bell in Jupiter, Florida. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that moment. And I feel like I, I got the whole visual of, of the Taco Bell, of you and your sister sitting with your dad. And also what a beautiful legacy that your dad has left for you. And you've mentioned that you're a mother of two daughters. And it, it sounds like your dad was a huge influence, not only helping you with walk through this experience with Tourette's, but also just in general forming you as Devin Desjardins today. Um, so what do you think that your experience with Tourette's has taught you about motherhood? And, and what, what lessons have you learned that you hope to teach Amelia and Abigail? 
So motherhood is one of those um, experiences that I really do feel like I'm making up as I go along, which I think, you know, so many of us go through that experience. There's no there's no manual that they give you after the baby is born that says here, step one through 25 of how to raise a functioning human being. You've got you've got the things, you know, you have to do right. You've got to feed them and have a safe place for them to sleep at night. And you have to make sure that they are cared for when you're not with them. You want to make sure that their um, emotions are nurtured, um, that they are you know, positively moving through life and having uh, experiences that will create this platform that they need to become functioning, successful, self-sufficient adults. But looking back on my ter- experience with Tourette syndrome, uh, it's just such a great reminder that my kids will experience things that I will never understand because I won't be going through them. My parents never went through Tourette syndrome. Now, in hindsight, my mom thinks she had Tourette syndrome growing up, but was never diagnosed. We think that my maternal, sorry, we think my paternal grandmother had some form of Tourette syndrome, but was never diagnosed. They were just kind of like tics, tic disorders. You know, they were quirky things people did back in the day. But my mom was this person who supported me through, both my parents did, but my mom really took the emotional and social aspect of parenting in the situation. She got up at five in the morning to give me, maybe even earlier, to give me medication so that hopefully I could sleep off some of the effects before I went to school. She's the one who held my hand when I cried every night and said, you know, why me? Um, And so... It's a great reminder for me that as my girls are going through experiences that I don't understand, to just be an open book for those feelings to land on and not necessarily be the kind of person that um, needs to, or kind of parent that needs to fix it, that needs to have a solution, that needs to have an understanding in order to, nav- in order to sorry, in order to navigate where I'm hoping that they will land at the end of that experience. Great. Thank you for sharing that. So powerful. Man, I'm just, I'm grateful that we've had this space for you to share your reflections and share the lessons that you're learning from your lived experience and ultimately what you hope to pass on to your girls. So transitioning a bit to your life and work now, what do you draw on for your career, your your role as director of marketing and storytelling that you developed when you were navigating Tourette's? Definitely a love of people, an appreciation for people from all different walks of life and experiences and lived experiences. These experiences that we all have, let me say experiences one more time, (laughs) that we all have are the stories that make us, right? And to be able to then, in my professional role, tell these stories or support these stories as they move through some sort of publication vehicle so that they land somewhere where they will be more heard, make more of a difference, change more mindsets. You know, our work is around eradicating poverty and increasing social mobility, but we're not going to be able to get there by just funding the programs that so many of our neighbors really need to survive and then to build their own you know, self-sufficiency from, we need to shift mindsets around poverty. We need to get people out of that mindset of, well, they're not working hard enough. They're not, um, you know, they don't care enough about their family. They don't care enough about themselves. They're addicted to drugs. They have mental health challenges. Because when we look at 
the systems that we all participate in and the systems that um, govern these challenges uh, that people are experiencing, we see that they're meant to keep people in these spaces. Not everybody experiencing poverty is addicted to drugs. Many, many are not. Probably most. I mean, I know that was the case in Los Angeles. Most were not. Um, I don't know about here. You know, most are not having mental health issues unless you count the depression that comes with like poverty as a mental health issue, um, which I would. But if we're not shifting mindsets, if we're not changing how, you know, through stories, we're never going to get to this end goal of eradicating poverty entirely. And so for me, going through this experience with Tourette's syndrome really made me appreciate my own story and made me appreciate where other people are coming from because you don't really know the stories that other people carry with them unless they feel safe enough to give them to you. And so if I can be that safety net for people where they feel safe enough to trust me to give it to the world or the triangle <laughs> in a way that matters, I feel like I'm doing what I've, I've been put on this earth to do. That's really beautiful. I love that that visual of stories as a gift to be given to people um, as a form of trust. And so um, I'm so appreciative of your trust today and, and your gift to us and, and everyone who's listening in of your story. Is there anything else about your moment or your story that you would like to share with our listeners? I maybe have touched on this a little bit, but I haven't explicitly said, you never know what somebody's going through, right? And so whether it's somebody that's sitting across from you at a table who's looking very poised, they could have had a really traumatizing experience that morning, or they could be carrying some of some sort of heaviness or some sort of elation or some sort of secret that you're not aware of. You could see somebody who is, has a sign and is standing on the street corner asking for help. And you can make assumptions about that person, but you don't know unless they share with you what their experiences have been. And I just ask that everybody really keep that in mind as they navigate the world, as they meet people that they've never met before, um, is to remember that we're all making it up as we go along. We're all humans having our own individual experiences in this world. And that's what makes this collective experience of, of being humans on this earth so beautiful, but also makes it so hard. And I think it's really easy to forget that in the, you know, the onslaught of negative news that we experience every day, the, the challenges that we navigate independently every day, the um, concerns we bring to, to spaces, uh, you know, to forget about your, your fellow human is really easy. But I think it's, we're going to go so much further as um, a community if we pay attention to that regularly. Great. Thank you. That's a really powerful note to end on. And so, Devin, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. It was a gift. Your courage and your vulnerability is amazing. And I hope that everyone who's listening feels not only inspired, but also accountable in a way to listen to each other's stories, to um, be patient, to recognize um, we're all carrying different lived experiences that um, need to be shared to, to shift mindsets. So where can our listeners find you and support your work? UnitedWayTriangle.org 
is step one. So um, that's where you can learn everything about what we're doing uh, as an organization to eradicate poverty and increase social mobility through the power of partnerships. You can read stories of impact. We have some incredible stories of people who have whose lives have been transformed through the the grants that we've given in community. Um, we have incredible stories about the nonprofits that are working their tails off to ensure that everybody has a chance to thrive, um, which is not an easy feat by any means. On my own personal social media, you can find me on Instagram. And so I'm D-D-E-S-J-A-R-L. It's my first initial and part of my last name. Very exciting. But if you want to follow me, you'll see pictures of my kids, <laughs> which is maybe not so exciting for everybody. I'm also on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you, Devin. We'll include that information in the show notes. We're really excited for our next episode that's coming out next week. And we can hear from a moment that has mattered in the life of another Goodman Fellow. Every story of leadership starts with a lived experience. What is your moment that mattered? Tune in next time. A special thank you to producers and project team, Kendall Davis, Brian Brandner, and myself, Angel Brown. Sound editing and production by Connie Brown. We would like to thank Leadership Triangle for sponsoring this podcast and connecting leaders throughout the triangle. And finally, thank you to our listeners of the Moments That Matter, a Leadership Triangle podcast. Be sure to check out all the episodes on your favorite podcast platform.